Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Southern Pride Podcast, a production of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. I'm Rex Nelson, Senior Editor of the Democrat Gazette, and we love to sit down with interesting people from around Arkansas with what's going on. And I recently had breakfast, got to write a column about one of the most interesting people I know right now, Arthur Odunia, who is the Executive Director of the Venture Center here in Little Rock. Arthur, welcome. Good to have you this morning. Good morning, Rex. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, it's it's great to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, I have written through the years a a number of columns about the Venture Center and what what it does, but one thing you learn is to never assume that anybody has read my columns. <laughs> and so for those listening to this podcast uh, who may not be familiar with what the Venture Center is, what it does, uh, why don't you give us the short version and that's how we'll start. So so the Venture Center, uh, it's a 10-year-old entrepreneurial support organization. Um, and what we do, our mission is to help help startup founders, um, corporate innovators, small businesses accelerate their success. And we do that through our partnerships, our programs, and our focus on making sure that they can be successful in launching or growing. Um, Because our vision uh, is really tied to the growth of the state of Arkansas. Our vision is that we wanna help be a part of raising entrepreneurship to leadership levels in the region and in the nation for Arkansas. Really, really exciting work. You're just around the corner from where we're recording this in the Democrat Gazette building that's going on. And and I will get back to that in a minute, but um, really enjoyed when we visited and I wrote the column talking a little bit about uh, your background. Uh, so I, I wanted to talk about that. Um, your parents moved from the Philippines to Des Moines, Iowa, when you were very young. So you were raised in the American Midwest in Des Moines. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I'm an Iowan. Yeah. That's the best way to think about it. We, uh, we emigrated, you're right, uh, at, uh, in 1969 from the Philippines. Uh, we went straight to Des Moines, Iowa. That's a long story in itself. But, uh, and my, my parents fully intended that, um, uh, that we probably moved to a larger city where there was more of a Filipino or Asian community, but you know, mm-hmm. we fell in love with the people. Uh, we fell in love with, uh, with, with the Midwest, with the central part of the United States. And uh, it was a real privilege to be able to grow up there. Yeah. Um, I, I have, uh, as we tape this, uh, we're preparing for the Iowa caucuses. And uh, back in my political writing days, I, I had the chance to cover the caucuses. And I think I told you at breakfast, you know, things aren't always what you envision. I, I had grown up, you know, wanting to cover presidential campaigns, be one of the boys on the bus. And I, and I pictured myself out trumping through the snow with candidates uh, in these small towns and going to small town diners. And what I found out is that most of the coverage was done from the lobby bar of the Marriott Hotel in downtown Des Moines. <laughs> it's basically political reporters and columnists sit around and talk to each other. That's exactly right. I've been sitting there in the, at the end of that bar listening to, to y'all. 
having that conversation and giving each other stories. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the things that uh, that we we hit off, uh, I know, is that uh, you you have uh, some journalism background uh, in your varied career, uh, and you told me you went to college wanting to be a playwright. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I, I went to college actually. Um, I started off thinking that I would be going into math, engineering, physics, um, but I ended up falling in love with uh, with writing and with and specifically with theater. And so I thought I was going to be the uh, the next great American playwright. Um, problem is, you have to have you know talent to to do that. Yeah, yeah. Not just wanting to do it, but uh, but I ended up really really admiring the craft of writing. Um, and really understanding that uh, it's something that that uh, that you've really got to learn and you've got to work at. So uh, one of the first uh, job opportunities I had after uh, after schooling uh, was the chance to start doing some writing for a, uh, for a weekly newspaper in Des Moines. Um, and uh, and even though I'd grown up there, I think one of the things I told you is just when you start when you're on that side, uh, you start to learn more about the city and about the place in a very, very different way because you're hearing stories of people, right? And uh, and uh, and and I love that about about working on on the paper. Mm-hmm. What were some of the things that you wrote about? Some of the things that you covered uh, during that part of well, your early career? Well, it, it's it, we literally covered everything, so. Um, uh, definitely the caucuses. Uh, definitely, Iowa at that point was uh, uh, was very much a, a focal point uh, every four years, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but we also covered just the life cycle of a place of a city. So we we looked at um, local politics quite a bit. Um, we looked at who was trying to improve the city from the business side. Uh, we had a sister business record publication that we would also do writing for. But the focus of the paper was really trying to tell the stories of the people and the companies um, and the initiatives uh, initiatives there. So best way to think about it is um, we were really taking the pulse of Des Moines on a weekly basis. So, um, and that's what made it, that's what made it really. Oh, oh, absolutely. So from that talk about how you got into the corporate sector your long corporate career uh tech being a part of that uh, which which i think is a fascinating story i mean you've been all over the country yeah well you know i i have to say that when i was i i started off writing for for the weekly newspaper it's called the city view uh it's owned and run by this amazing amazing businesswoman connie weimer uh in des moines um, and it was it was literally one of the most important uh, and probably the most enjoyable uh, job that I've ever had. But I, I actually did a pivot to your point. There's a small there was a relatively small software company in Des Moines. And we're talking about the, uh, the uh, late 80s, early 90s uh, called Microware Systems. And some of the some of the guys there it was a very small um, software company. Some of the guys I'd known since childhood. Um, they read the paper. I got to know, uh, I got to know them. They were on the verge of really starting to grow their company. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they did is something called, and this is kind of wonky. It's called real time embedded 
um, operating systems. And the best way to think about it is you've got things like operating systems that will run computers and laptops and big mainframes back then. But um, other devices that needed intelligence, like a traffic control system or, uh, or your television set, they also need a kind of an operating system. So that's what microware was doing. And, uh, and they were still pretty small back then, but they knew they were going to grow. And they decided they, they needed some help uh, with someone, frankly, who could also look at not just telling stories or communicating, uh, but trying to understand what they did right, and, and helping to grow the company. Uh, and they were absolutely insane for bringing me on board. But so I did a pivot from writing the, you know, running the paper to becoming a software product manager, not really knowing what the heck that was. Mm -hmm. Learning on the job. I, I literally learned on the job. I, I spent that first week going, what the heck am I doing here? And expecting, you know, Ken, who is the, the founder to tap me on the shoulder at any given point and say, hey, you know what, Arthur? Sorry about this. I think we made a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you'll, you, you stick at it, you learn, and uh, ended up actually helping to be a part of the team that grew that company. Um, we grew it pretty large. We ended up doing a, an IPO, uh, took it public. Um, and, uh, and then I ended up getting hired by, and, and we grew to be about maybe the fifth largest software company in that part of that segment of real-time software. I got hired by the second largest company who was based out in California, uh, in the Bay Area, uh, called ISI. And so uh, my wife and I and our two um, little kids at that point, you know, my wife's a fifth generation Iowan, uh, decided to pack our bags and drive out to uh, Silicon Valley mm. uh, at the end of the 90s when it was a boom town. What a, what a change that must have been from Iowa. It, it was it was a, it was a huge change. Uh, and and, you know, the, the Silicon Valley at that point, this was before the big Internet bubble bust uh, before the software bubble bust um, was a place where literally the I tell you, Rex, there was a joke going around that if you pull, if you drove into the wrong parking lot, of a company, there'd be somebody out there trying to hire you. Try to, before you got out of the car, yeah, <laughs> stay here. Exactly. Yeah. It didn't matter what you were doing, but uh, but, but it was it was it was an, an incredible environment at that point. But we uh, we always came back to, to to Iowa like every summer, right? It was was also the thing. But it was a it was a great learning experience. I ended up working for ISI. We ended up uh, uh, purchasing another company. Um, we did a spinoff. Uh, that I helped run product and marketing for. We merged with the largest company in embedded software. All of that now, by the way, is part of Intel. Okay. You know, okay. 20, 20 plus years later. Um, and, uh, and that kind of kicked off the, that kicked off working for larger companies, being focused on technology and product. But this was always tech that was focused on the consumer side of things. Um, and that led to getting hired by a much larger company, uh, still based in California, um, and then an international company, uh, Vivendi Universal, uh, and that led to a whole bunch of, a, you know, this journey for the last 20 years. That's led here. I, I was going to say, it has been a journey. You were on the West Coast, Silicon Valley. You end up on the East Coast, uh, and somewhere along the line, and we'll shorten this a little bit, uh, but it's fascinating to me. You run into a guy, a longtime Little Rock resident, somebody I know well, Jeff Fox, and talk about that that 
connection and how that eventually got you to Little Rock. Sure. No, I, I'd, I'd love to do that. So um, you're right. I ended up going out to the East Coast. Uh, I helped run product and tech for a cable company called Bright House Networks. Um, then I, I helped uh, become uh, the, the chief innovation officer for ADT, which was down in Florida. And then I was hired away to be the chief innovation officer for Avis Budget Group in New Jersey. And uh, literally that first month, there was a board meeting at Avis Budget. And uh, Avis, uh, at that point and today, fantastic company, mm -hmm. um, you know, third largest uh, managed fleet in the world, 180 countries. Uh, I walk into the we, we try harder. I'm showing my age with that that old advertising campaign. Yeah, that's a great brand and a, and a great yeah. campaign. But I walk in, um, and that's where I meet Jeff Fox. He was on the he was on the board of of, uh, of Avis, and my first impression was a, a very polite, very very polite, uh, mm -hmm. a very soft spoken. Asked the hardest freaking questions. <laughs> the sign of a good board member. Yeah. My goodness. And it was, it was, it was strange because I was trying to pin him down in my head because he asked financial questions that showed an incredible acumen, almost to like, wow, this guy must have been a banker or something at some point. And then he asked operational questions that reflected the fact that he was a CEO of a really large public company. Um, and he did it in a way that, uh, was really polite, right? I think that's the that's the that's mm -hmm. the, that's the background, mm -hmm. um, the southern background. Um, and he did it all with a smile, but you were still you know you were still sweating up the storm because if you didn't know your stuff, yeah. you you didn't yeah. know your stuff. And by the way, I found out over the next five years because you know uh, I was there for every board meeting that he remembered everything mm -hmm. right and it happened to me but also to my other colleagues in the c-suite right that like you know towards the middle of a board meeting jeff would casually say to our ceo hey hey larry you know i recall about two years ago you said that we were going to hit this number in this particular sector because of x y and z right and <laughs> and larry would be like oh my gosh how the heck did he remember that <laughs> Uh, but that's the thing. And so I got to know Jeff there. Um, my job at, at, at Avis was working for, for Larry, the CEO, especially on new, new products, new technology, new markets. And on some of the projects, um, uh, uh, Jeff was the board member who was appointed uh, to provide input and guidance just because of his background and his experience. So, so not just the regular sort of quarterly board meetings, but on a couple of big projects, uh, I got a chance to actually, you know, get his input, understand a little bit more um, of, of who he was because we actually worked on something. Um, and then at the end of uh, 2020, we survived the pandemic. It was a terrible time, but a great team, and we were able to get through it. And, and I think, as I told you, Rex, at breakfast, I was I was burnt to a crisp. Mm -hmm. So decided to retire from Avis Budget amicably. Love that company, uh, but I I was fortunate enough to be able in a position to take a step back and say, okay, what do I want to do now? How do I give back? I'm still pretty young, as far as as, as you know, as far as I think. Um, and I knew that what I wanted to do was two things in particular. One was I really wanted to focus now somehow on early stage entrepreneurial companies, 
right? Because I've been doing a lot of work, even when I was in deep in corporate, mm-hmm. part of my job was to work with early stage companies, you know, um, either invest in them or license them or buy them in some cases. And the second thing I knew I wanted to do was even though, you know, loved living on the East Coast, wanted to get back to the center of the, of the yeah, center third of the country, I wanted to get back here. And uh, Hillary and I both were like, you know, this is the, the right time to do it. Our kids are grown. Um, and I was starting to think about, okay, do I learn more about investing on, uh, into early stage? Do I, do I, do I want to actually jump back in and help start, uh, an early stage company? Do I want to work with an accelerator or an incubator of some kind? And so what I did is I actually started trying out all three, right? Really fortunate about that. And literally, as I was starting to do that, the beginning of 21, I got a call out of the blue. Uh, from Jeff, and Jeff had just successfully exited uh, his last big CEO mm-hmm. gig, right, uh, at Endurance Global, um, and uh, and he was back focused on Arkansas. He was back, as he told me, uh, looking at his company, uh, Circumference Group, uh, which is a multidisciplinary, multi-platform investment uh, management company. And he called me because he was he said, you know, listen, Arthur, um, I'm starting to look at early stage, I'm starting to look at early stage, especially here in Arkansas and in the central part of the states and, and thinking, what can we do to help, right? Not just invest, but what can we do to kind of raise the level of things here? And, and he said, Let, let's have a conversation about that. And so one thing led to another. And I started, um, I started working with him and with the team at Circumference Group, looking at early stage, looking at, at how we could invest and also help support um, companies. Uh, got to know Little Rock. I'd never been to Little Rock before uh, until then. Really got to like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, last year, as a part of that process, also got to know the Venture Center. Right. Right. Um, heard about what they were doing. Uh, one of my circumference group colleagues, John Haley, uh, uh, is on the board of the Venture Center. Uh, got to meet some of the companies that went through their accelerators. Got to meet the team there spent time down at Tech Park. And um, and then uh, last year, um, they were looking for a new executive director. And we were thinking about how do we as Circumference Group, you know, continue to expand and broaden our partnership and our look in early stage. And um, one thing led to another, and we decided to create a partnership uh, between, you know, to support uh, the Venture Center as Circumference Group. And as part of that too, I leaned in and I was fortunate enough to have the board and James Hendren and Jay and Millie and, uh, and all those folks decide to, uh, to ask me to see if I wanted to take on that challenge of, of joining a really great team, you know, uh, and that was literally a year ago. Uh, I started in middle, middle of January, uh, as full-time as, as exec director. And, um, and now I've really, in, in a sense, come full circle, you know, started off with a small business, right, right, with a weekly newspaper, started off joining a start software startup company uh, from the inside out, and uh, in the center of the United States, and and you know, you know, almost thirty years later, here, here I am, right with you. We're glad you are. Talk talk a little bit about your impressions of Arkansas. The the business uh, environment here, the technology sector here, 
and where you see the future, because the Venture Center is not just Little Rock. It's, it's regional, it's national with the accelerators you have. But, you know, my focus is on Arkansas as a state. So, so a little bit about where you see the economy of this state going and the role the Venture Center can play in that. Yeah, I think, I think it, it is tied to the mission of the, of the Venture Center because we're a not-for-profit that is focused not on like an end deliverable, right? but instead on the continued improvement and continued economic benefits generated for the state. Um, so what are those sectors? What is the technology? What are we, what are we looking at? Right? And I think a lot of your, a lot of your listeners are, are probably already familiar with some of the strengths of the state, right? Uh, when we think about retail, next generation logistics, supply chain, 3PL transport, um, Arkansas plays a significant, right, and especially Northwest Arkansas. But when we also think about, you know, finance and not just traditional finance, but next generation financial technology, uh, bank tech, uh, things that are being driven by digital innovation, you know, I mean, fintech began here. So, so what led to FIS, which is now a global leader, in financial technology services started right here in Arkansas. Right? Go back to the old systematics, the Stevens Incorporated investment yeah. into them. I've written about it. I, I love the history of that. Yeah. I mean, the best way to think about it, it is not just a vertical segment of finance. It's a horizontal mm. uh, platform because I challenge you to think of any industry, any sector or any company that does not have a financial element to it. It's the same when you think about data and security. Probably the, the third areas. I think that there is um, there's a there's a strong both you know defense support uh, uh, segment and industry here in, in Arkansas. Uh, it doesn't get as much I think outside um, exposure as it could, but that's at the growth of that or at the core of that for its growth uh, is a lot of expertise in cybersecurity, uh, expertise in data and in IT. Um, and all of that, I think, just waiting to be leveraged and channeled into new initiatives. I think the fourth area that everybody is also aware of is obviously, you know, Arkansas is an agricultural, you know, core and center. Um, and also in terms of uh, natural resources, um, you know, last 50 years of, of providing, you know, providing critical minerals uh, through companies like Albemarle, uh, et cetera. But that's also an area that's also exciting in terms of growth. So that's an area, for example, specifically with critical minerals. When you start talking about critical minerals for the future of not just you know multiple industries, but also for the safety and security of our country, mm -hmm. uh, where we need to take a leadership position, we need to take it away from China. So we want about it. Mm -hmm. um, you start thinking about a critical mineral like uh, lithium. Well, I'm not sure how many folks here um, uh, on your listeners uh, realize that we have the potential to be a global leader, not a national leader, a global leader in being able to provide quality, battery quality lithium for batteries that will, that will power not just electric vehicles, but 
power multiple industries and applications. I, I got excited back in the spring of last year when the Wall Street Journal broke the story that ExxonMobil was moving yep. into that segment and moving into Southwest Arkansas. And there was a quote in that story that I've used in column since because people need to know where one energy industry executive called Southwest Arkansas the Permian Basin of Lithium. That, yes. That's pretty exciting for our state. Yeah, <laughs> that, that quote's the one that really, really caught my attention. If we have the Permian Basin of Lithium right here in Arkansas. You nailed it. And, and our equivalent of the Permian Basin is the Smackover Formation um, that is there in, uh, in southwest Arkansas. And for your, for your listeners, uh, think of it as a huge underground reservoir, uh, basically brine. Mm-hmm. Salt water. Right. Which which we considered a byproduct for a hundred years of the oil and gas industry and most of it just injected back into the ground. And for the, for almost four, five decades, we've Arkansas has actually been a leader, is a leader. Right. What our Albemarle's doing with bromine and others there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. But what what the, the real story that you and, and your colleagues have been writing about is the fact that um uh, a company called Standard Lithium working with some of the larger companies already in place, like Albemarle, for the last three years had quietly been testing out not just the quality of the uh, potential lithium that was in our smackover formation, Brian, but also a new way of extracting that lithium. Um, Today, lithium, which is a critical component, not the only, but a critical component in lithium-ion batteries, um, is extracted and mined in two ways, and it's heavily. Uh, a lot of it is, is in South America. Mm-hmm. One way traditional is old, you know, hard mining, hard rock mining, which is not incredibly great for right. the environment. The second, which is really big down in South America, is where brine is extracted. They create huge evaporation ponds, right, and then they let it evaporate. Then they collect the residue, and then that that's extracted. That takes a lot of time. It's very. It's also not incredibly great for the environment, um, and it's subject to making sure you don't get too much rain. The third, now uh, because of new technology, uh, is new lithium extraction extraction technology, where the brine um, can be you know brought up from the ground, use new technology to extract the lithium out right much more efficiently, right without using ponds, without having to you know without having to. Um, to damage the environment, and then that uh, the leftover water then is, is 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 brought back down into the ground. And what you end up doing is creating a much more efficient, more economic, right, uh, and much more rapid way of extracting and getting it ready lithium to be refined. What does that mean for us? Right. I think what it means for us on the Arkansas side is not just being one end of the supply chain. But I think it's the beginning of can we actually bring other elements of that full battery supply chain into Arkansas, right? So that the the, it might, the, the extraction of it, the refining of it, but then all the different types of companies, all the different types of processes leading all the way to having, you know, automotive OEMs um, and battery manufacturers having their you know, having their that was exactly where I was going. I was going to ask you, and I, I try to be optimistic about my native state, but uh, 
something tells me if, if we're the Permian Basin of Lithium in southwest Arkansas, if, as you know, Mississippi County in northeast Arkansas is about to become the leading steel producing county in America once U.S. Steel's new plant comes online there, in between, it seems like fertile ground for EV battery plants and EV assembly plants to me, because we had steel and lithium both here in the state. That's exactly right. And and the other element that makes us, you know, uniquely and strongly positioned is transport. But so 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 refining, and, and why would people therefore? Why would companies want to add other elements of that battery supply chain? You know, end to end here. It's because of our ability um, to transport what is manufactured or brought here as well quickly and efficiently to the rest of the country and also globally. So I look at the work that's being done that's incredibly impressive with the Port of Little Rock, right? And, uh, you know, what is that, 4,000 plus acres? And our ability, and that was also one of the things that has, you know, has, um, has brought companies like Exxon and others into the state is, is our ability to transport as well. Um, and so I'm not talking just about our traditional forms of transport. I can see us leading um, the testing and the deployment of next generation, next generation types of transportation and deployment and supply chain. So multimodal logistics, right, is something that I is another area that now pulls all of that together, Rex, just like you're talking about. So it's one thing to extract it, build it, refine it, put it into different systems, right? And then transport it effectively and efficiently in different ways, right? Um, out of out of Arkansas and to the rest of the world. Yeah. And not, uh, not directly related, but uh, another trend we've seen, uh, and it is related because when you said logistics, I, I think of the explosion here in central Arkansas in recent years, of logistics and distribution as Amazon very quietly, because that company moves kind of quietly, came in here while we were all worried about the pandemic and now has about 5,000 employees as they make Central Arkansas Regional Hub. So now we see, you know, the Home Depots, uh, the tractor supplies, uh, the Dollar General, all all building massive warehouse facilities in Central Arkansas now. Yeah, exactly. I think that, that places us to your point at the nexus of being the you know the we're next generation manufacturing supply IT and transport can all come together. I, what I what I would love your your listeners to know about is um, there is a uh, lithium innovation summit. We at the Venture Center are helping to support. Uh, you know Hugh McDonald, uh, our Commerce Secretary, is doing a great job. Uh, is helping to drive that. Uh, there's a lot of private uh, support there, Standard Lithium and Exxon and some others. Uh, it's going to be held here in Little Rock, uh, February 15th and 16th, um, and it is open to folks uh, to uh, you know to, uh, to 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 attend. Um, and uh, happy to make sure that you all and, and your listeners have the information to it. But it's going to be a two-day session. Our Governor Sanders is kicking it off, and then we're bringing in even global experts. But it's all with a focus on what is the potential here? How do we actually um, really develop that potential? Um, and what does it, what, when, you know, the stuff I'm blathering about, end-to-end -end supply chain, what does that really mean and what does that look like?
Uh, and we'll be touching not just on the technology side of it, but also the capital side of it. We'll have folks from, you know, state officials um, and local government officials, uh, even at the county and municipal level, talking about what this means to the, you know, to the state and to their particular constituencies and all kind of kicking off what could be a really amazing, amazing, you know, next couple of decades of, of growth. And, and I want to emphasize that this is critical, not just economically. This is critical from the defense of the country. Right? This is critical to maintain our leadership position. All right. So um, so for all of those reasons, I, I hope to see a lot of your listeners, you know, attending this in YouTube. You've got an invite from us. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much. I, I could talk about this stuff all day, but I knew it would go fast. We're we're out of time, Arthur. So let me give you an invitation. I want to get you back after that conference, and then let's let's spend the whole thirty minutes on it. Thank you so much, Arthur Odunia. He is the executive director of the Venture Center here in Little Rock. Thank you for joining us for another edition of the Southern Fried Podcast a production of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette.